0: This week on the Garden DC Podcast, we're joined by Bennett Saunders, General Manager of Saunders Genetics in Virginia. Welcome, Bennett.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Great. And what Saunders is most known for, I think, are boxwood. So that's going to be the big topic of our conversation today is everything boxwood. But before we dive into that, let's talk a little bit about your background, Bennett, and then the company's background.
1: Okay. Uh, I have uh, been a part of the business since I was uh, just a a young child. Uh, It was our job when we were young people, uh, by young, by even 10 years old, 10, 12 years old, to help to grow the plants. And the only plant that we grew initially, or my dad grew, was boxwood. So my dad started the nursery in about 1948 or 49 when he and a, a high school buddy, or actually it was probably more like junior high buddy, tried to propagate plants over uh, near his home. And his mother showed him how to do it, and they, the two of them propagated like 50 plants. And he was just absolutely amazed uh, at the way they the, they rooted and the way they started out, and he bought his partner out for like fifty cents or some crazy number like that. <laughs> and then he then that was the beginning of his interest in growing boxwood. We have photos of him ni- nineteen forty eight forty nine with the with the nursery, and he started growing plants. Uh, Mini boxwood. Years later, he finished uh, college in nineteen fifty four and in uh, 1956 or so came back into the business in partnership with his dad and a couple of uncles and he was growing boxwood sort of on the side I reckon you would say uh, while he did the other jobs on the farm but anyway I, uh, uh, that's sort of his history that's the the beginning of the nursery. Uh, I was born in 1961 and uh, I've been around in this immediate area except for four years at Virginia Tech in uh, 1979 to 83, so we have, I've been a part of, of the Boxwood business uh, from a very, very young age. We, we really didn't hire, in all honesty, he did not hire a lot of people. I have six biological brothers, and so we all worked in the business and were a part of the business and we propagated the boxwood, we watered the boxwood, uh, we dug them up out of the rooting beds, planted them into containers, and then uh, when I was in high school, we loaded the trucks in the evenings uh, to, to send them. In those days, Kmart was one of our biggest customers in the late 70s, early 80s, and uh, put them on the truck, and, and sometimes we even delivered them. So, so that's my beginning.
0: Wow, Kmart selling boxwoods. I, that was a little before my time, but that would have been fun to see at Kmart. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, they were the first of the, you know, you know the chain stores. They mm-hmm. were here before Walmart or Costco or uh, Lowe's or any of those guys. And they were probably 50% of our business back in the late 70s and early 80s. So, yeah, they were a big part of it.
0: So, listeners out there, if you bought a boxwood at Kmart in the 70s or 80s, you have one of the Saunders boxwoods. That's great to know. And you had referred to your area of Virginia, and so I know Saunders Brothers Company is based in Piney River, Virginia. Can you describe that area?
1: We are in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Um, We have quite variable landscape we're uh, right near the Appalachian Trail uh, right just east of the Appalachian Trail about five to ten miles east of the Appalachian Trail and so we're in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. It's probably not where you would start a nursery if you're starting from scratch because of all the hills and we have to do a lot of grading in order to prep our sites but uh, it's where we are and you have to Play the hand you're dealt and that's so so that's what we're doing.
0: So it's very hilly but is it rocky what's the soil like?
1: No there's fairly rich soils I think the, the soil is a fairly typical they're heavy clay soils uh, but very rich soils in general of course in Charlottesville Virginia is just north of us uh, Lynchburg is, is south of us and so there's a lot of you know nice horse estates and pretty farms all through this area.
0: Yeah, that is a gorgeous area, and for anybody who is familiar with Charlottesville and Monticello, Jefferson's home there, they have probably know what a great, rich, growing area that is. Yes. And so for Saunders Brothers, most of what you're doing these days with the company um, is growing and selling wholesale, or is there a retail operation to it?
1: Probably about 99% of our business is wholesale uh, because uh, historically we've been very uh, remotely located. We have started an online business just recently, Saunders Brothers Farm Market, and so we do sell a few plants uh, through our farm market, uh, particularly our boxwood
0: and earlier this year on the garden dc podcast we had paul westervelt talking about all types of annuals and he's also with saunders brothers so that tells you that your uh, plant family what you offer has greatly expanded from those early days of just boxwood so can you talk about some of those other offerings
1: yes well our nursery i told you we started out just boxwood but then we expanded into uh, a lot of uh, different plants, azaleas, rhododendron, and we grew white pine, hemlock uh, way back. And But now we're very heavy into all types of annuals and perennials. Uh, you mentioned Paul Westervelt. He is our expert on all of those uh, what we call color items. Um, we also now grow a lot of uh, flowering shrubs, particularly hydrangeas or really really popular right now and we grow a few trees as well as some other woody ornamental plants so we we grow pretty much a full line of plants and uh, our company now distributes uh, to mainly to independent garden centers all throughout the mid-atlantic area so our our base is our biggest part of our business is within about 200 mile, miles of Washington of the capital.
0: And that coincides pretty well with this Garden DC podcast audience. So perfect. And uh, I like the phrase color plants, That so for the annuals and perennials, but that implies that boxwood don't have a color. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a definite green color, but that does bring up the whole separate side issue um if you are familiar with the term of green blindness
1: yeah well you know um it's interesting that you you talk about the color crops uh, because when we first started uh growing a lot of color crops um the boxwood were sort of belittled and somebody made the comment that green is not a color And uh, my wife said, I beg to differ, that green is a color and green is beautiful. So that's what, uh, so yes, uh, green is a color.
0: Yeah, most definitely. And there's been so many studies done on green blindness and that how the human being kind of our eyesight, because we were predators, hunters, at you know, several millennia ago for our main sustenance, that everything is background that's green and we don't tend to see all that green background. We focus on anything that moves, anything that has eyeballs, anything with like a hot color. Um, So that's to the detriment of, of course, of a lot of our beautiful shrubs and trees.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's very interesting. Uh, That's uh, really something I had never heard, but that, but I think it's, it's true. Uh, So that's very interesting.
0: And so Going back even farther than when your company was established, maybe let's talk a little bit about boxwood history in general. So, is there a native boxwood, or is most of the boxwood we grow in our gardens imported, or are there hybrids?
1: Uh, most of the boxwood that we see in our gardens today, I think, came from Europe or, you know, England, you know, many, many years ago, centuries ago, uh, there are no native for, boxwood forests in the United States. There are there are uh, native forests in Europe and in the Far East, in China, and also, uh, interestingly, in, in Cuba. But most of them came with the Europeans who were the early settlers in the United States. And the early varieties of boxwood, we call them English boxwood. Uh, but the Latin name is uh, Sifruticosa, and we call them American boxwood, and the Latin name there is uh, irons or so the botanical name is simplifier. Hmm.
0: And so the English boxwood is probably what most people are familiar with in historic gardens in, in Virginia and throughout the Mid-Atlantic. And it seemed like they were used from colonial times on. Um, do you know why boxwood? were so popular or why they were used so frequently
1: Uh, i would say because they take so little care to be beautiful uh to to be green and lush and so the the english boxwood in those days uh, didn't have really any insects or disease issues or fairly minimal disease issues and you just planted them and you waited and they were beautiful and so they became very, very popular. And they were easy to, to propagate too, or to root.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that could be one main reason when you don't have that Kmart, that big box store, that mail order um, business that you can get plants right away, that would be a great pass along plant and maybe something that could easily propagate and make a small hedge or a garden out of.
1: Absolutely. You know, they there were, before the nurseries came along, that's the way they were spread. And they were very, very popular and, and spread uh, rapidly. You know, when people moved into the towns and they, they saw their neighbors had a beautiful hedge and so the, the neighbor would, uh, would propagate boxwood just like I described the way my, my, my dad did. And, and they would create new plants for a new hedge. It was very, very simple.
0: Hmm. And maybe we can go into a little bit of that propagation just for anybody who might want to do that at home. Can you do that with any kind of boxwood or is there a particular boxwood that's easier to propagate?
1: Well, all, do, all boxwood vary in their ease of propagation. The English boxwood happens to be one that's, that is very easy and probably, and thus it probably contributed to its uh, popularity. Uh, but to to propagate uh, boxwood, it would be very simple to uh, just in a area uh, with a little bit of sand in it. I think is good for the drainage, and you could put just like two by sixes up on the end in a box. Uh, let's say two feet by four feet wide or so, and then have some sort of a cover over it to protect the the tender cuttings. And then you would take a cutting of probably five or six inches long, you would strip off the bottom of the leaves. And I mean, like half the leaves you would strip off and then you would normally, you would put that into some sort of a rooting hormone, which it is not a hundred percent necessary, but it accelerates the rooting. And then you just stick those plants into the, the rooting bed, uh, probably three inches apart and then you just keep the the bed moist over a period of time, probably uh, about two months or so. And at the end of two months or three months or so, you go and you could pull those, start tugging on them, and you can very quickly tell if they've rooted or not or how successful you've been.
0: Yeah, it seems pretty simple. Is there a specific time of year, say early spring, when the growth um, period is starting that's best for taking propagation cuttings?
1: Early, like late winter, uh, before the new growth comes out would very much be maybe a preferred time to do this. But you, again, you want to do it before that new growth starts breaking open, which was like uh, is like mid-February to late-February.
0: Excellent. So mark your calendars for early February next year and maybe try your hand at a few of those. And that same technique could probably be used for a lot of other uh, woody plants from say some of the Mediterranean herbs to uh, small shrubs just to experiment and, and try. And for your operations at Sonder Brothers, do you start from propagated cuttings or how do you start new plants there?
1: Yes, we uh we take whatever cultivar that we we are looking for we take cuttings off of those plants uh and we do that primarily in in late winter or early spring and uh we take obviously thousands of these cuttings and we put them into individual containers which may have uh be a, let's say the size a little about 3 times the size of a size of an egg uh the the part that the egg goes into and uh uh, like in a dozen eggs and you would put those um and then we fill those containers up with sand and peat moss uh and perlite just sort of a mixture and we propagate them and one of the real keys is you got to keep a lot of moisture in the air around those cuttings when you first propagate them. In other words, you do not put too much water on the soil. But um, you know, I suggested maybe burlap or maybe a p- piece of clear plastic and a piece of burlap to keep the humidity in those beds.
0: Hmm. Good. Good tips. And for those that you're growing on to sell. Um, I imagine that you're growing them on for maybe two or three years before they're sent out for sale, or, or do you have different um, stages that you sell to different customers?
1: Uh, we have different uh, stages that we sell to different customers. Now, the, the plant will generally stay, um, for us, we would be going into a pot that's, let's say, about half the size of a quart pot, and it would stay there for about a year to year and a half. And then it would be potted from that into a one-gallon or a two-gallon uh, container and grown another year to two years, depending on the cultivar and the target size and so forth, uh, before it's it's sold. But, but then some of those plants, um, some of those would go in these quart containers and then they would be planted out in the field setting. So we grow plants, boxwood particularly, not only in container, but we grow them in a field. And we plant them in this early spring every year. And they would grow in the field anywhere from about three to four years up to 10 to 12 years, believe it or not. Uh, we sell some plants as big as... Uh, Three foot, four foot. Uh, one of our most popular varieties is one called Derunk and we sell that all the way up to a six foot size. So,
0: wow! So you can get ones that are pretty much a full mature size already for your garden.
1: Well, you know, the, like the six foot De Runc, um, they will continue to grow. Uh, you know, probably I have some on my front walk right now that. They were about four feet when I planted them, and today they're about fifteen feet tall. That was probably twenty years ago that I planted them, and they're absolutely beautiful right now. They're, they're shaped like a uh, an ice cream upside down ice cream cone, just the cone part, a sugar mm-hmm. cone part. So
0: nice. And do you have to do a lot of pruning to maintain that shape?
1: Uh, on the this particular cultivar, the Durunk cultivar it takes one pruning a year uh, and we usually do that in the late winter or early spring about the same time as I was talking about doing the propagation.
0: Hmm. And looking at all the different available boxwood there are there are some that are more like a round meatball shape some that are more tall and narrow at the top, like the d-runk you described, some that are more columnar. Um, how, is, how are they bred to attain those shapes, or is that more in the pruning?
1: I would say it's a little bit of both, but it's primarily the genetic characteristics of the plants. So what we have done over a period of, of decades is we have uh, collected cultivars there are interesting, really, from all over the United States. Uh, anytime we found uh, interesting sizes or shapes, we have collected them, and the ones that best fill the need for whatever shape that we are are looking for, we are we would grow that, and you know, usually they would have a name, uh, obviously, and then we would propagate and. Everything that you propagate from that plant would uh, be should be true to name and should grow exactly to the same size and shape as that mother plant. And so, you know, again, we have one of our goals all the time, all from the the beginning, was to find a, let's call it an artist's palette of of different types shapes and sizes of boxwood and that's what we've we've done over the years um but and but unfortunately it's sort of the next chapter is the in 2011 boxwood blight came into this area and it took out a lot of the varieties that we were growing then we found were very very susceptible to the boxwood blight. And so we've quit growing probably about half of those varieties or at least uh, cut production severely because of this uh, blight disease.
0: Hmm. That does bring up the the topic of some of the issues that you can have growing boxwood. Uh, In addition to the blight, um, they are known to be deer resistant and they don't seem to have many other... Um, animals that like to chew on them but i have heard of deer recently starting to like chewing on boxwood Mm. (laughs) 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 so we're hoping that they don't develop that taste Um, but some of the other issues they might have besides the blight Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, probably the biggest issue outside of blight is the boxwood leaf miner and the boxwood leaf miner is an insect that uh, that is in the adult stage every year in this in the mid-Atlantic area in late April or early May, and the adult um, comes out at that point and they mate and they lay and they are only alive for three or four days, and they lay their eggs in the, the New growth and the new and the plants, uh, the, the new growth that's coming out, the very tender new growth, and so the leaf miner then larva grows just under the epidermis of this the cells there, just right underneath uh, the, the and you can actually peel a piece of the leaf off and you can find them. But you don't really see them until fall of the year because they're growing all during the summer and fall. And then in the late winter, early spring, they get really big and they get an orange look before they pupate and then they turn into the adults then again in late April. But they can really blister the leaves and they can make the plant uh, really, really unattractive and and even cause the plant to defoliate and even kill the plant in extreme circumstances. So that that is a really really big problem with some boxwood.
0: Hmm. And are there any varieties that are particularly resistant to the leaf miner?
1: There are and that is um, in the uh, early 2000s Saunders Brothers was uh, a, a number of the cultivars that we were growing then Showed uh, proved to be really susceptible to the leaf miner. And so we went and did uh, some research and found some cultivars uh, from the National Arboretum in D.C. and from Blandy Research Farm over in Winchester. We found some cultivars that showed better resistance and we brought those cultivars to our farm and we are continuing to experiment with these cultivars and find the ones that show the most resistance to the boxwood leaf miner. Um, and we've that is we've taken that a step farther uh, in the last uh, three or four years, and we are actually breeding boxwood ourselves now, trying to find plants that are res, have natural resistance to the leaf miner and to blight. Uh, I, I might add that the, the leaf miner is a huge pest because uh, well, it's actually fairly easy to kill, but the best uh, materials to use are the neonic's, and the neonic's have, um, you know, come very much into disfavor uh, recently, and and for obvious reasons, and so we're trying to get away from that, and more importantly, we're trying to give uh, the homeowners plants that they do not need to spray. Uh, going back to the old English box, what I told you. That's the reason why people like the English boxwood is because it didn't take a lot of care. And so we're trying to find other plants uh, or other varieties of boxwood, which also don't need a lot of care.
0: Hmm. And I know that you are involved, you said, for the last few years with Saunders Genetics. Can you talk about that aspect?
1: Uh, yes, we... Um, and when boxwood blight hit in 2011, there was a huge void of uh, information and answers to to boxwood. And boxwood, then and still is, as far as I know, the number one woody plant that is sold uh, throughout the United States. And so, you know, the growers, Saunders Brothers, everyone was was uh, growing all kinds of boxwood and selling them. But then this blight came along. And it turns out that the most susceptible cultivar ends up being the English boxwood, uh, the one that you were saying was the most popular, and and it was. And so we learned very very quickly that we have to get away from that variety. But we did not have a lot of other cultivars to go to, and so we started looking, and there there were just no answers. And so we finally took it upon ourselves to to find cultivars and to breed cultivars, which would be more uh, insect and disease, show more insect and disease resistance, as well as what we call, have what we call the wow factor, which means you 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 just see it in the landscape and you say, wow, that's a cool looking plant. I want one of those. And so we're, we're really looking though for, you know, the package plant, one that has all of these characteristics, insect and disease resistance, Um, easy to grow in the nursery and, you know, just a great overall plant is our goal.
0: And so one of the introductions that you've done in the last few years is the new gen boxwood collection. And so there are two in that currently correct that are available to the public new gen independence and new gen freedom.
1: That's correct. Yeah. We have, we've uh, found two varieties that we feel, uh, all for the the attributes that I just talked about. They are we call them solution boxwood. That they have good insect and disease resistance, and they're good looking plants. And they don't require a whole lot of babying. Uh, they do just like all boxwood. They're prettier if you prune them once a year. You give them a light pruning once a year, uh, usually in the late winter or early spring, uh, and they can be absolutely beautiful plants. If, if you, you know, with, with proper care, you know, you got to do all the other things that you have to do with any plant, like have the right nutrients in the ground and the right pH and, and you cannot plant them on real wet ground. But if you do the most basic horticultural procedures to prepare your, your site, they usually do very, very well.
0: And I do want to circle back to pruning a little bit. So when people hear pruning, they might think, is it shearing the overall shrub for the shape and size, or are you going in and pruning out whole limbs all the way back to the trunk?
1: Well, there's a little difference in, you know, in what people believe. We, we like Uh, shearing but not shearing real tight just sort of shaping the plant a bit but not pruning it real heavy Uh, the less you can prune the plant and just just to get the tips and the real irregularities out of a plant the better just do that and not do a real tight shearing A real tight shearing makes the plant more susceptible to boxwood blight because the boxwood blight thrives in areas where there's high humidity, where there's not a lot of air movement. And so you really should try to avoid that.
0: Hmm. And it becomes really dense, I imagine, in the middle and doesn't allow very much sunlight and air circulation.
1: Exactly. And then the closer it is to the ground, the more susceptible it's going to be to boxwood blight. Uh, because the the fungus travels by infected leaves that fall on the ground and the rainwater splashes or a, a real drenching heavy rain splashes the, the spores up into the lower leaves of the plants and then it goes it will then ca- sort of climb its way up into the top of the plant.
0: Hmm. So that means you should probably clean up any drop leaves, maybe fresh mulch around the base, and would you limb up the plant so it's not so close to the ground, or do you leave it that way?
1: That's an excellent point. Uh, the, for uh, the American boxwood, the, some people have done that, have uh, cut some of those bottom limbs to prevent, or it helps with boxwood blight, because the boxwood blight can't splash up into those lower limbs. Um, Unfortunately, uh, we're talking cultivars too, English boxwood, we think are a thing of the past. We are not propagating any English boxwood anymore uh, for two main reasons. One is because they are the most susceptible plant uh, boxwood that we grow to blight. And number two, it's very, very difficult to replant English boxwood where you've pulled out English boxwood. I said difficult, I say it's impossible is a better word there. Uh, when you pull up an English boxwood, you cannot replant an English boxwood behind it. And so we're trying to get away from English boxwood, uh, and we we don't even offer them anymore.
0: Hmm, That's good advice. So if you have older English boxwood that are failing and want to pull them out, you're going to replace them with one of the new cultivars. Um, And if you've inherited a garden full of old boxwood that might be huge and overgrown, what are your first steps there, Bennett?
1: Uh, I reckon if you uh, if you start out with big boxwood, I, I reckon you, you know, obviously it is the decision of the homeowner or the gardener to, if they don't like that look. Uh, and I think people, in all honesty, hold on to gardens too long sometimes. Uh, particularly these, the English boxwood that, their, whatever, their, their grandmother propagated, you know, 50, 100 years ago. I think uh, gardens need to be renewed, particularly intensive gardens need to be renewed from time to time. And if they're not renewed, they succumb to insect and disease issues and it's they, they're just not uh, real nice to look at anymore. And it, it's partly dependent upon the cultivars and so forth. We've I don't know um, if you know it or not, but we, uh, we helped to, to, we provided the plants for the renovations of the Rose Garden in, in D.C. last uh, August a year ago, 14 months ago. And that garden was, uh, was old and it was tired. It was time. They'd lost some of the English boxwood up near the Oval Office. And they had replanted with other cultivars, uh, different cultivars. And some of those cultivars were really susceptible to leaf miners. So they had leaf miners in in some, and some were old and ragged looking. And they just finally decided that they were going to do a wholesale change in the plants in the Rose Garden, which they did. And I think it turned out uh, fabulous. Um, So... You know, back to you know to your original question, uh, what do you do uh, if you uh, you can renovate a garden? I don't think an English gar- uh, boxwood, though. I would not recommend re- uh, trying to renovate an English boxwood. An American boxwood or a Buxus sempervirens, I think you can cut that way back and let it regrow. And sometimes, it, uh, I'd say, oftentimes, it will turn out looking nice. So.
0: Great advice. And so the Rose Garden you're referring to, of course, is at the White House. And there's a little bit of controversy in some groups about that garden renovation. But I think uh, a lot of us horticulturalists, whether we're on one side of the political spectrum or another, we all agree that that garden was in need of a serious renovation.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree with that. Um, we, We have actually... Uh, My dad supplied plants there in 1962 to Jackie Kennedy uh, to the the original plant Parterre Garden there The the Jackie Kennedy had done, and then we have been up there and we supplied Justin Brower they used in the 1980s uh, as their variety of choice for the Parterre Gardens, and they have Renovated and tried to replace it on on a piecemeal basis several times, and it always looked okay, but never uh, really good. But um, I think what they did this time uh, was, you know, the wholesale renovation. I think was was a very wise choice given the fact that there was all these different cultivars, and it just didn't look good. It didn't come together nicely, and it it was not an attractive garden.
0: Mm -hmm. And when you were working with them, that's with the National Park Service that oversees the grounds of the White House, correct?
1: That's correct. That's who we were working through um, throughout the process, yes.
0: Mm -hmm. so let's turn in our last few minutes to some of the fun and cool types of boxwood that you can add uh, to your landscape and one of my favorites is elegantissima and that is one with a creamy white edge to the leaves so it's more of like a variegated look um, and kind of a mid-size right boxwood it's not one of the dwarfs and it's not one of the big ones it kind of stays mid-range
1: Yes, that's correct. Uh, Elegantissima is an absolutely beautiful cultivar uh, that uh, I, uh, I love. Elegantissima myself. Uh, the only issue with Elegantissima it is is that it is susceptible to the boxwood blight, and so we are getting away from growing. Uh, elegantissima. In the last uh, six or eight years, our numbers have decreased drastically. Uh, New Gen is looking at some cultivars that are showing really good resistance. Um, so with time, if you stay tuned, I think we're going to have some answers to that. There is one variegated cultivar uh, boxwood called Golden Dream, which is uh, very resistant to uh, blight that's, that shows a lot of promise. And, and that's that's a very nice cultivar, but it's a larger cultivar than the Elegantissima.
0: Hmm. And so it's more of like a chartreuse color to the leaf or is also variegated?
1: It's, it's variegated. It's, um, it, it, it does, the only thing I don't like uh, about it is that it turns or, uh, sort of an orangey look in the winter, uh, the golden dream. And I don't like that.
0: I do notice some evergreens, I'll see that on some cedars and stuff, and people will point those out to me and say that that shrub is dying or sick, and I'm like, no, that's the way it goes. (laughs) It it makes that kind of orange haze to the the look in in the late part of the winter, and I kind of like it sometimes, it's different. (laughs) Um, I was going to bring up, in our last episode of Garden DC, we we were speaking with Dumbarton Oaks and that historic garden, and when I visited there recently, I noticed signs in certain parts of the gardens that said, please do not touch the boxwood, don't like rub up against it, and they were trying to prevent, I think, disease issues by that, by people, I guess, visiting from all parts of the United States and world and bringing issues to those historic gardens.
1: Yes, that's a. It's been a huge issue with boxwood in the last few years. The um, boxwood blight, which is a an invasive species uh, disease, uh, and even recently there's a there's a moth that eat, feeds on boxwood called the boxwood tree moth, and uh, so you know it's just now there's a few of them in the United States and. Uh, hopefully it'll be many years before it, it it shows its face but you definitely need to be careful when you're walking in gardens you know to particularly if you've been traveling a lot and you've been in plants to so that you don't spread the insect and disease issues
0: yeah i don't think that's something that many gardeners or garden visitors would be aware of so that's a great point And I was also thinking, in particular, of the upcoming holiday season, and a lot of us use boxwood cuttings for holiday decorations. So, are is there any precautions we should have about passing those on to others um, from our garden?
1: Quite honestly, I would be very careful how you do that. How you it it was. uh, It's a fairly. um, I think that, that some of the people are fairly. Sure that the the boxwood blight got to Colonial Williamsburg through wreaths. That the the wreaths were actually taken maybe from North Carolina and shipped into Williamsburg, and somebody put the wreath underneath a boxwood in their backyard, and a year later the blight was show or not even a year, but several months later the blight was showing up in that plant. So. Uh, quite honestly, because of the, the issues we're dealing with today, as much as I love boxwood wreaths, we're trying to maybe discourage uh, some of that. You know, maybe if you do it for your own, for yourself, you know, for your own front door, uh, that's fine. But to share it across town, you might be sharing uh, the boxwood disease and insect issues.
0: And so, if somebody sent you some boxwood wreath or, or greenery or that sort of thing, you would definitely not want to compost it in your garden, I would imagine, or add it anywhere like as mulch or anything like that.
1: Yeah, I would definitely say that's true. I would, when you finish with it, I would put it. Uh, and this might not be uh, the, the best thing to do, but to put it in a plastic bag and not not turn it into mulch. Yes put in a plastic bag and make sure it goes to the dump
0: mm-hmm yeah sad but I I think uh, we should be airing on the side of caution if this is such a prevalent disease and if you don't already have the blight uh, issue you definitely don't want it
1: yes so I, I might add that that what we are uh, I've, I've talked a lot about boxwood blight but boxwood blight is going to soon be a managed disease. Uh, just like any other diseases that we're we're taking care of in our gardens. And there's going to be some, there are best management practices. There, some of them are very, very easy for homeowners, just as, like mulching. Put a, a light layer of mulch on your boxwood in March has shown to be just really, really good for boxwood blight. And so we really need to let gardeners, they need to understand, you know, Go to the websites, go to our website or anybody's website and, and try to understand some of those best management management practices uh, or, to, or cultural practices uh, that you can use to, to protect your plants against uh, some of these things, uh, the insect disease issues that we're talking about.
0: Hmm, terrific. And since you brought up the website, let's give our listeners the Sonder Brothers website address.
1: Uh, you can just SaundersBrothers dot com,
0: and that's plural for both Saunders and Brothers. And Saunders is S A U N
1: D E R S. Great. And and new gen. Uh, there's actually more care, uh, more talk about care in the new gen website, which is if you just Google NewGenBoxwood dot com, it'll take you right there.
0: Oh, and if listeners want to be in direct touch with you bennett how would they do so uh
1: my email address is bennett at saundersbrothers.com very simple
0: thanks and any other final thoughts maybe for home gardeners who have never grown boxwood before should they be afraid
1: (laughs) i I don't think so i think you know again it's uh... It's like a lot of plants. I think you need to do your homework first and, and to read a little bit about it and, and, and some of the issues and, and read the label on the plant when you buy it. Uh, regard, but, you know, you definitely want to be, stay away from the very susceptible cultivars. And we have a list in, at those websites. We have a list of the different cultivars and their relative susceptibility to some of the insect and disease issues uh, that we're talking about. So I, th- I think you just need to do your homework and and boxwood can still be an absolutely beautiful plant in gardens and particularly in the more formal gardens.
0: Excellent. Thank you Bennett.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to talk to you.
0: Hardy begonia plant profile. Hardy begonia, begonia grandis, is a long blooming garden perennial that is hardy to zones 6 to 9. They bloom from midsummer through early fall with delicate pink or white dangling flowers. You can deadhead the blooms to encourage continuous flowering. The foliage is also attractive with large heart shaped leaves that are lovely red on their underside. If you can place the plants in an elevated spot, the sun reflecting through the vein leaves is quite attractive. They thrive in part sun to full shade, with rich, moist, but well-draining soil. The plant is of Asian origin and is a good addition to any woodland garden. Hardy begonia grows to between one to two feet high. They perform well underneath shrubs and trees. They will spread to form a colony, if allowed to self-sow. However... If you mulch or clean up around them in the fall, it will prevent them from reproducing. Hardy begonia dies back in winter and reemerges in spring from an underground tuber. You can spread a bit of compost on the soil surface in early spring when the plants are still dormant to give them some extra nutrition. They need little care otherwise. Hardy begonia, you can grow that. What's new in the garden this week? Well, over at the Community Garden Plot, we're already harvesting the spinach. And we have Big Duck Yellow Marigold in bloom. It is looking fabulous and pushing out tons of flowers, enough and so big that I think I can put together a couple flower garlands and you can find instructions of how to do flower garlands by going to washingtongardener.blogspot.com and putting flower garland in the search engine. I like to use marigolds especially for this because they're so abundant this time of year and you can use them to celebrate Diwali, the Hindu festival of lights. You can use them for the Mexican day of the dead or just as a floral decoration hanging over a mantle, and they dry so well too. Fresh, they're beautiful, but dried, they're also just as lovely. So, some upcoming events in the area. I have two talks that you can register for now. Um, one is for Brookside Gardens, and it is on Thursday, November fourth, at 6:30 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, There's nominal fee to register for that, and you can do so at Active Montgomery. The topic is getting your garden ready for winter. So we're going to go over all those necessary tasks and some of the tasks you don't even need to do. So I'll give you a do not do list as well. Um, The next talk I have is that following day. And that's Friday, November fifth, for Homestead Gardens, and you can register for that at homesteadgardens.com under the upcoming event tab. The topic for that is caring for seasonal plants and holiday gifts. So, if you are giving a plant this ho- this holiday season, or getting a plant, or you've had a poinsettia or a Christmas cactus and didn't know how to get that to rebloom, we'll be covering those topics. So everything holiday plant related in that conversation and then there's an upcoming conference that you might want to register for and that's taking place december 8th through 10th the first two days are virtual and then the third day we'll have some live regional field days in the maryland virginia area and that's the chesapeake conservation landscaping councils Ninth annual turning a new leaf conference and you can find out more about that at chesapeakelandscape.org and so that's all about this year normalizing sustainable practices and working collaboratively collaboratively to ensure diversity equity and justice in the field of conservation landscaping so should be a really fascinating conference and field days happy gardening You can find Washington Gardener online at washingtongardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardner, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.